You're listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast, your primary source of information related to the hospitality industry in Washington State. Welcome everyone to another informative webinar from the Washington Hospitality Association. Today, we are joined by Doria Maselli from Behavioral Health and Recovery Division of the Washington State Healthcare Authority, and she is joined by Matthew Gower, who's with her team also. Today, we're going to learn about the new suicide hotline, or 988. Check out the story notes if you're listening to this in a podcast or the links below for helpful links and a copy of the slideshow presentation if you want to look at that later. Thank you everyone for listening. And now I am going to turn this over to Doria and Matthew. Good afternoon. Hello. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, uh, as I said, my name is Matthew Gower. I am a the crisis system lead, team lead here at the Healthcare Authority. I'm one of the um, principal project managers implementing House Bill 1477 and um, the 988 and crisis system enhancement project that'll go along with it that I'll explain in more detail here in a few minutes. Um, uh, this is my team. Um, I am somehow the sideways picture. Uh, that's how you can identify me easier. Um, I but my team consists of Wyatt Dernbach, Luke Wagoner, and Sherry Wiley. Um, we cover everything from adult and youth mobile crisis to crisis stabilization and triage. Um, and I will also go over those here in just a moment. Um, I think it's important to kind of start with just the current state of how our crisis system works, and um, that'll help help you understand what we're going to. Um, so my slides are slightly out of order here. I, there was, I think there might have been some upload error, but um, but a basic overview here is uh, the behavioral health crisis system is a public system. It is available twenty four seven for anybody regardless of their ability to pay. So there's no barriers to accessing it. If somebody is in need of help, they can just call or walk in somewhere and they will receive services. It consists of really three major parts right now. There's kind of what we call the formal system that is made up of behavioral health interventions like mobile crisis teams, crisis call centers, um, the NSPL line, all of that. Um, and then there's the emergency services. So this would be our first responders, EMS, law enforcement. These will be typically the people who encounter people who are in the most severe need. Um, and this also includes emergency departments where people often walk into. And then there's kind of a system of gaps, um, a local specialty system set up to fill in the holes that are not covered by either. And that's due to different incongruities of the systems and um, the services they offer. So some examples of this would be 911 call reduction programs. So those would be some case management that goes out to help people figure out their needs. They don't always involve behavioral health. Sometimes it can be as simple as helping somebody um, understand how their oxygen machine works, but they often intersect with behavioral health. And then co-responders and local outreach programs came out of this, um, although they're kind of becoming more and more part of the formal system. But co-responders are a behavioral health professional who goes out with a first responder, law enforcement, EMS, fire, um, to be kind of that first line of contact and provide a lens of behavioral health intervention for an individual need. So as an example of some of the substance use disorder um, crisis services available, this is not an exhaustive list. Um, there's detox services. These are really, it's kind of an outdated term. It's actually um, withdrawal management, but some places will still call themselves detox. So I included them here. Um, but they're a place for people to go um, kind of unwind off of a, a substance, go through the initial withdrawal phase with support, medical interventions if necessary. 
Um, there's also um, secure withdrawal management. So this would be a place where people are taken if they're um, detained under Joel's wall. And I'll go over that a little bit here in a bit as well, um, where they would be held until um, they meet criteria, no longer meet criteria to be detained and are released on a safety plan. Most crisis teams are trained in harm reduction or some SED interventions, but that is an area of improvement we need for the state. And then I also included residential treatment services, which are longer term, often 60, 90 day um, treatment services for people with SED needs, but they're often accessed through the crisis system. And then because my slides are out of order and I apologize for that, um, the mental health crisis services that are available are regional crisis lines. So these are 1-800 numbers that are uh, locally based, often by Medicaid region um, or even at the county level. And they're kind of our current, current critical point of access for individuals. So if you have a problem, you can call those numbers. Um, they operate independent of 988, and I'll explain that here a little bit um, in a minute. But 988 is an option if you um, need to call it to get help. They will connect to a regional crisis line and get you the help that you need. Then there's mobile crisis teams. Um, these are a team of professionals, that out, behavioral health professionals that outreach and provide crisis interventions and stabilization to where you are. Um, I would, I'll go into more detail about them, um, but they're, they're very outreach focused um, and are kind of the area of expansion um, that I'll go into more in depth here in a minute. Um, crisis stabilization facilities, these are voluntary facilities for people to go and receive crisis interventions. Um, so they're kind of like a mobile crisis team you go to stay at for uh, typically three to five days, but you can stay for longer if needed. And then ENT and inpatient, which are voluntary and can be involuntary. Um, you can be detained to one of these facilities if you meet certain criteria. Um, receive a higher level of care, which often includes more medical interventions and um, more um, therapy and more direct interventions to help stabilize you for your crisis. I apologize here, I'm gonna skip ahead. So I kept talking about detainment, um, and it's important to understand that in the behavioral health world, you can be what's called involuntary, um, have the Involuntary Treatment Act used against you. You might often hear the term ITA, um, but involuntary services are a last resort, and certain legal criteria must be met. You are essentially taking away somebody's civil rights um, under this process. Under most circumstances in the medical world, you can refuse treatment. Um, this includes that if you are conscious and you are bleeding, an EMT, EMT cannot make you go to the hospital. That is actually true with behavioral health as well. Um, but there are certain caveats where if I am a person with lived, um, lived experience, I have bipolar disorder, I can refuse treatment. But if my bipolar disorder gets to the way of my decision making and affects my judgment, then this act can be used um, to get me, get me help. So certain, these certain criteria must be that a person has a behavioral health disorder that does not have to be diagnosed one like I have, but it can be an assumption of a behavioral health disorder that can be a mental health condition like bipolar or an SED um, uh, active um, SED issue. Doesn't People don't even have to be actively using, but it has been affecting them very recently. Both of these, um, along with finding that they are an immediate danger to self, others, property, which is very rarely used, and gravely disabled, which means that they're unable to take care of themselves to the level that they are a danger to themselves or others. And there has to be that fine of immediacy. So even if somebody is expressing suicidality, if they have no plan, no intent, um, and they're not actively doing it, they cannot be ITA'd. Um, many people have thoughts of suicide. That alone does not make it so you are ITA'd. So please be honest with your therapist if you feel that way. 
And then the final piece that's really important is there are no other uh, less, less restrictive alternatives. That's a very technical term. But basically what it means is there's no other way to keep a person safe. The ITA is the last resort. So there's no safety plan. There's no people who can take care of them that are, and the person would still be a risk even if these interventions are put into place. The basic price process for an ITA is um, if you have a concern about a loved one um, or a person was presenting at an e emergency room with this, these symptoms, they would contact a designated crisis responder. They're a master's level or above clinician who are designated to do these specific legal um, investigations. They will conduct the investigation if criteria is met. A DCR can detain up to 120 hours. Detention starts when the person is detained and in a facility where they will be monitored and in that 120 hours. Um, if it is determined that they need further care, a petition to a court for an additional 14 days will be filed. There is a court hearing, including um, prosecutor, defense, the whole, um, the whole uh, aspect of, of a legal proceeding. Um, so due process is met. Um, at the end of that 14 days, if future, um, future petitions can be uh, instituted, if a person is still considered a threat to themselves, and every time there is a court hearing and um, a person can challenge each petition. Up after 90 days, there's 180 day, and that continues to go on until the person is safe. So accessing the crisis system as is right now, I mentioned those regional crisis lines. 988 um, is also one that'll get you to an RCL. There's a lot of specialty lines like Team Link. Um, uh, the, uh, the one just jumped out of my head, but there's um, LGBTQ specialty lines. All of them usually have an, uh, um, policies on how to connect to a regional crisis line to get you help if that is what you needed. You can also often call a uh, behavioral health agency and they will connect you. And then of course, 911. Well, emergency departments are not very efficient for this. They are a good contact point if you really need it. Please get help if you need it. There are other walk-in centers. Um, some walk, uh, behavioral health agencies will also allow for walk-in. And then also um, the biggest referral source often comes from our community, which is law enforcement, fire, or EMS. My point here is if you need help or your loved one needs help, just reach out. We will connect you to somebody and get you the help you need. So that takes us to um, kind of why we're here. What is 988, what is uh, House Bill 1477, mm -hmm. and what is this goal of getting things to? Uh, so SAMHSA has produced a best practice toolkit on what a good crisis system would look like. There's three pillars to it, someone to talk to, someone to respond, and somewhere to go. So the first part we'll talk about is 988, since that is um, kind of the hot ticket right now. So a little bit of background on 988 is in July 2020, the federal government passed legislation to designate 988 as an option to contacting the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Uh, that is probably the uh, the best way to describe it is you've probably seen a lot of commercials about the NSPLs, as we call them. Um, a lot of times maybe during football games, you might see um, during Mental Health Awareness Month um, ad campaigns. This is just an option to contact them. That's all that it is at this point in time. Um, 988, uh, started being routed to our uh, three NSPL providers on July 16th. So it is active and it will, uh, if you call it right now, you will end up in one of the three centers within the state. Um, at least most likely, I'll go into that caveat here in just a second. Um, all other hotlines and regional call centers continue to work. So if there is a, if you have a path to contacting and getting help, continue to use it. Um, 98 is just an addition to this at this point. Um, 
the only caveat to this 988 is right now call routing is based on your uh, area code. So if you have an Oregon cell phone, um, or if you're like me, I was originally from Eastern Washington and I moved across the state, my call will be routed to Spokane. If you have an Oregon one, yours will be routed to a call center in, in Oregon, sorry. Um, and if you're from Texas, it'll be routed to Texas. That is an issue that the federal government is working on um, to make it more geolocated instead of uh, area code located. But traditionally, NSPLs have been area code located. Uh, so seizing on the momentum of um, the federal government designating 988, our legislature passed uh, House Bill 1477, the Crisis Call Center Hub Act, to designate, um, to implement 988 in the state and improve uh, crisis services. Some of the key pieces of this uh, legislation is it funds uh, the 988 and call centers with a uh, line tax, very similar to 911. It's a, uh, about a 24 cent tax per line on your cell phone, um, landline, or VoIP phone. Um, to fund the system. It established the Crisis Response, Response Improvement Strategy Committee. Um, about two-thirds of the way through developing this bill, the legislature figured there was too many big, big issues to tackle in this one particular um, bill. So they had established the Crisis Committee to explore these issues and make recommendations on how to implement not only 988, this Crisis Call Center Hub concept, but the bigger crisis system enhancement project that will accompany it. The crisis call center hubs um, will be able to dispatch mobile crisis teams. So they, uh, right now it's a very clunky process that varies from region to region, um, but in the future it'll be a much simpler streamlined process. It also creates a technology platform to improve coordination um, in the crisis system. This includes things like a bed tracker, which if you've ever worked in behavioral health, you know that um, referrals often are a phone call to find out if something's available at that particular moment and then calling the next place and the next place. So the idea is to try to improve this and speed things up, as well as uh, close loops and, and be able to pull information about how things are going. It also creates next day appointments for all insurance plans. So this means commercial plans will be required to offer a next day appointment. Um, I'll go over a little bit more about next day appointments here in a bit, um, but it is um, kind of unique that we'll require commercial carriers be part of our system. And then one of the biggest pieces, it includes distinctive directives for equity and development provision and access to crisis services. So the crisis call center hubs are kind of a, um, a new concept for our state. We are kind of modeling them after some other states, but the idea is a crisis call center hub will receive calls to the 988 line. Um, they will be able to use this technical and operational system um, that we're building a plan for right now. That plan should be public sometime around the end of the month. Um, and it'll allow people, this, the technology platform will allow them to look up records to find if there's safety issues, um, be able to pass along relevant information to somebody who's responding. Um, those responders will be able to look up live information, um, have GPS location on them for their safety, and um, be able to communicate back that they were able to arrive for the person's um, meet with them and share the outcome of the information. These hubs go live in July 2024. Um, and rollout of systems, as well as rules on what the hubs will look like will come about in July, 2023. Uh, another really cool part that we're doing in our state, and we're the first ones to do this, is uh, we've in, launched an Indian Behavioral Health Hub um, that actually launched back in May. It serves indigenous and tribal affiliated individuals. The hub offers culturally appropriate aid to tribal and non-tribal providers to who support tribal communities. So. Um, technical assistance, linkage to um, tribal specific resources for those who are not familiar with it. Um, 
as well as providing culturally competent um, information. It was created as a partnership between a lot of different agencies, um, Tribal Centric Behavioral Health uh, Advisory Board, American Indian Health Commission, um, Volunteers of America who operate it, and then Healthcare Authority and DOH. And one of the things that I, I'm really excited about, we are also the first in the nation on, we were watching, launching the Native and Strong Crisis Line. Um, we're hoping to launch it in November, 2022. We are just waiting for a final federal sign off on adding it to our um, 988 call line options. So that's kind of exciting. The overall goals for House Bill 1477 and SAMHSA's best practices, um, as I mentioned before, is to create a system of someone to talk to, someone to respond and somewhere to go. Um, reduce the use of police and first responders in crisis calls and use behavioral health um, interventions first. And then integrating peers into crisis work. If you're not familiar with peer support, they're people with lived experience who, uh, work, who work in a professional capacity to empathize and meet people on the on their level and be able to say, hey, I've been in that crisis, man, this, helps. this is what helped me. And they're fantastic at breaking through barriers and helping develop that empathetic understanding that's so important to resolving a crisis. Goals for specific for Washington is to expand mobile crisis teams, expand youth crisis services, while implementing youth-focused mobile crisis services called MRSS, and I'll get into detail about that, and then make these services accessible across Washington and those services responsive to the needs and unique cultures around the state. So that means somebody in Eastern Washington would be able to get a service as prompt as somebody in King County, and it's responsive to their cultural needs. Dependent whether they're Hispanic, white, LGBTQ, it doesn't matter, trying to make these services responsive and um, effective for anybody involved. Uh, as I mentioned before, the CRIS committee and subcommittee um, came out of House Bill 1477. It established a 36 member CRIS committee with people from with lived experience, advocates, um, providers of service, uh, Policymakers, decision makers, all of them. It's a very large committee and it's public. I recommend you would come and um, sit through one of those meetings. They're very, very fascinating. Um, and then the it's led by a five person uh, steering committee who will make the ultimate recommendations to the legislature on how to proceed with a lot of um, the questions asked of it. It's made up of several subcommittees that are that explore issues in more depth. Um, these are not public except for the lived experience one. Um, they're not public so that we can kind of have candid conversations around confidentiality and compliance, which is not a very um, exciting topic. And the lived, sub, uh, lived experience subcommittee is public. So if you want to attend either the Chris, the steering or the lived experience subcommittee, um, please visit our website. A uh, link will be in the end of the slideshow. A basic implementation timeline I'm going to kind of breeze over here is uh, the Crisis Call Center hubs go live July 2024. Uh, best practices, um, rollout of a lot of things will occur next July. And then coming this January, we will be launching the next day appointments for commercial insurance. Medicaid already has that requirement. So um, now I'll cover mobile crisis teams. Um, mobile crisis teams fill that goal of someone to respond. They offer community-based interventions where um, However, if somebody is, SAMHSA's wording is homes, work, or anywhere else, but I can't imagine somebody coming to my work for this. Um, they utilize two-person teams to enhance safety and engagement, so they allow a clinician and a peer to come at it from different angles and allow somebody to kind of work with whoever they feel is um, more comfortable with. Their essential functions are to triage, screen, assess, and then de-escalate, and then to provide follow-up. 
So they don't just meet once, they can come back um, for up to two weeks. We've been working on expanding them. This slide I will let you look at um, to your leisure, but basically the difference is we've added full new teams to some areas and we've enhanced teams that existed to bring them up to a higher level of staffing across the state. On the youth side, there's the mobile response and stabilization service uh, model that we are implementing around the state. They function close to what uh, the adult teams do, but instead of they have a just respond model. So they don't, they don't triage, they don't, um, they don't hesitate, they just go out in person and they work with the youth and the family that is in crisis. The idea is to reduce the use, uh, reduce the amount of youth that are going into um, emergency rooms, having contact with law enforcement or missing school. And they provide uh, right now two weeks, but we are working on getting it up to eight weeks of stabilization where they will coach the youth, the family, and keep them in their house so they can continue to go to school, continue to go to work, and continue to live their lives as we work through the crisis. Um, this is kind of an overall goal, um, support, maintain, engage, promote, reduce, and then assist. Most families who are in crisis, it's not just the youth that's in crisis, it's also the parents having to watch or experience what's going on, so supporting the entire unit. The initial response um, phase is what we call, uh, it's up to three days. Um, this is uh, that public part um, that I mentioned before that's paid completely through uh, the, um, the public behavioral system. And then there's a stabilization that is up to eight weeks. Uh, right now it's two weeks for Medicaid um, and for commercial carriers, they're mirroring about that two weeks at the time. Um, and I'll go into a little bit more about that kind of exciting phase. But during this uh, stabilization phase, again, they coach, they work with the, with the youth and the family for 24 seven to help them get through whatever situation they're experiencing. This is another slide that shows where um, youth teams are expanding to. Um, they're in various stages of standing up. We only have one team per region at the moment. And for most regions, we are looking at expanding that further. Um, this is just a slide to kind of highlight how what is currently available to youth. And in most regions, outside of some of our bigger regions, there's not much. So the goal is to try to expand youth crisis services to meet the needs of our youth that is a growing area of need. All right. And then the crisis resolution. So our team has kind of seen the, the final pillar is somewhere to go, but we also feel that there's another part that crisis doesn't exist in just one minute. Um, oftentimes crisis leads to several, as accumulation of several different um, issues or stressors over several months. So we want to be there and stay with somebody until they're stable. So fulfilling that a place to go, um, right now we are working on expanding crisis stabilization facilities. These are, again, kind of a short-term three to five day typically stay where somebody can go get away from their problems and receive support um, as they stabilize from their crisis. We're implementing a new uh, model. It's 20, uh, they're called 23-hour facilities, um, sometimes called mental health minor emergency, behavioral health minor emergency. But they're facilities somebody can go to um, receive on-site support while they work with the team for their next step resolving the crisis. So it's not like you got to resolve your crisis 24 hours, but when you leave, you could either go to a stabilization unit or you could go home and have follow-up care arranged for you. Another modality we're implementing in the state, um, it started before 1477, but it is a fantastic modality, and but kind of different. It's called a peer respite. A peer respite is a home-like environment, kind of like a bed and breakfast, but um, without the breakfast where you would go and receive uh, peer support and just peer support on site. 
it's an alternative to stabilization units and highly effective um, for people who do not want to go inpatient or have had bad experiences going inpatient. People can stay up to seven days and receive that on-site support um, during that time. And they are also free to leave, go to work, come home, come back to this facility, um, go home, be with family, come back if it didn't quite work during that seven days. Um, and then so the crisis resolution side of things, um, these are kind of a bundle of services that are not necessarily fitting into that place to go, um, but is also very important. So House Bill 1477 requires the addition of next day appointments. A next day appointment would be if uh, somebody called in and was uh, worried about the effects, side effects of their medication, they could get a nursing consult the next day. They can get a consult with their um, with a therapist to see if therapy is the right thing. They can get an assessment. Um, the only requirement to get a next day appointment is that you're assessed to have an urgent need and a next day appointment would be something that would satisfy that um, satisfy that crisis or get you on the next step to solving that crisis. It doesn't have to solve it all in one go. Um, so as, as I mentioned before, MCO, our Medicaid population has already um, had next day appointments available to them when they're in crisis. Um, OIC has issued rules back in May that will require commercial insurance to uh, provide next day appointments starting January. Again, commercial insurance. And so if you have a health plan through your employer, it's likely covered by this. And then as I mentioned before, in-home community stabilization, we are working to expand um, the ability of our mobile crisis teams to meet with people after that initial three-day period and continue to work with them and coach them through help them through, connect them to the food bank, connect them to whatever resources necessary to help them get out of their crisis. I mentioned earlier, one of our goals is to expand peer support into crisis services. It's to get that empathet empathetic view and communicate with somebody um, quicker. We're looking to expand them into our stabilization facilities, possibly into emergency departments, and possibly um, even more. And then another um, piece that's part of the overall kind of project, but not necessarily related to 988 or 1477. Um, in March, House Bill 1688 uh, was passed and it eliminated balance billing for out-of-network behavioral health emergency services. Those roughly translate to the uh, crisis services I mentioned before. Um, it is in effect now. So your commercial plan cannot balance bill you if you go to a ENT out-of-network um, as of now. But we are still working with commercial carriers to figure out ways for them to contract um, and support our providers who are often only used to billing one or two individual or entities um, to billing more for the services that uh, commercial plans members use. Um, this is a huge thing that we are also the first in the country to do this, um, to require commercial plans to cover services that have been traditionally just covered by our public behavioral health service out of state dollars. Um, the goal is to reduce uh, the reliance on Medicaid and um, federal dollars and expand traditional services beyond just Medicaid enrollees. So we have some fantastic services that were often unavailable to people on commercial plans because the cost was prohibitive. So I just want to circle back and just reiterate what happened on July 16th, um, just to kind of finish things out. Uh, calls began on July 16th, calls were routed to the three uh, NSPLs in our state. It is 988 is just an additional way of accessing that National Suicide Prevention Lifeline Network. It didn't replace anything within our state. Um, all other crisis lines, all other means of um, of communicating with our, our getting help are still in place. 
Um, text messages are also went live July 16th. Um, I often kind of forget that. I guess I'm old and I don't like texting to uh, um, that much. I do text instead of call, but I think for crisis lines, I'm still kind of a caller. Um, but the goal eventually is to have 988 as a single point of entry um, for our crisis system through that crisis call center hub concept. So in starting in July 2024, 988 would be the primary number, although all of the numbers would probably still be active and just um, coordinate with 988. But you'd be able to call 988, um, get a mobile crisis team if you needed it. That mobile crisis team would be able to respond and take you to a stabilization facility if that is what is needed to resolve the crisis. But that is about a year and a half away at the minimum. Um, so that I would normally ask questions. Um, but since we're recording this, I don't know if there are any questions or any ability to do so. Uh, so I'll just leave you with um, my contact information. If you do have any questions, please feel free to reach out. I love getting questions and I love um, getting different perspectives. And um, here's a series of links to our Chris committee, um, more information about 988 and that SAMHSA best practice toolkit, as well as the tribal hub, um, which is live now and the native and strong line will be hopefully live in November. So with that, I just want to thank everyone for um, sitting through this presentation, and I hope you guys have a great day. Well, thank you both so much for providing this information for us. I know with the holidays coming up and the last couple of years of the pandemic, this information is going to be very important for our operators and if they want to share it with their employees also. So with that, thank you both so much and have a great afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, wahospitality.org, where you can learn more about the restaurant and lodging industries and the Washington Hospitality Association. Be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or iHeartRadio so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Thank you so much for that effort. Until next time.